Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers. Come on. Yes, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And right now, those three words are as relevant today as they have been in any other point in our history. Called to live, commanded to love, commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? Y'all played yourselves. Let me try this again. How do we say it here, family? Hold on, hold on one second. Hold on, hold on. I've been repeating this thing for the longest time. We live, we love, we serve. Joyce, you were saying it wrong, just real loud. I heard you. I heard. <laughs> Listen, beloved, stand with me for a moment. You know what? I just sit down because y'all looking tired and hot. Just sit down. All right. Because this scripture lengthy. I don't want to have y'all sitting there and somebody fall out while I'm reading Listen, when it's hot like this, if you need to go get water, please do that seriously. Um, because I don't want anyone getting overheated <clears throat> this morning. I want to look at Luke 7. And I said to you at the top of this month that for the next several, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. You know, I mean, I, I say that because <clears throat> for too many people who are Christians, we use the name as a tagline for prayers or, or just to help or rather seek to use it to question people about their belief. But Jesus is not just a name you say on the end of your prayers or you say just to say that you're a Christian. Jesus, to me, is about, as I always say, honoring the teachings of Jesus. So what good is it to use the name but not follow the teachings? To take the teachings of Jesus seriously, and, and we miss that. I say that I said to myself, I don't always try to engage in what can be perceived as political chatter too often. But, you know, last week we talked about we have to fight for our future, talking about our young people, our babies, especially the high rate of teen suicide in this country right now. And, you know, a society is measured in case you don't know. I'm going to give you a guide and how to measure the power and impact and efficiency of a culture from our perspective. A culture is viewed by what it does for those who are the most vulnerable. We are measured in scripture was about how the care of widows and orphans and Jesus prioritizes how we care for children, right? And to me, a culture is not measured by its capacity to produce material goods that we become addicted to. 
It is not measured by its ability to send billions of dollars in military aid. Although it is not, it is, it is, isn't an unjustified thing. In the midst of all that goes on in this country, skyrocketing inflation, people unable to afford some basic things. When I read stories of children, babies, going to the hospital because the mothers can't get access to milk, that's how you measure a so-called industrialized country. With all that we have and babies are going without formula. Now, you may be saying, well, you know, that's why God provides nature and women and breastfeeding. But I saw a story of a woman who had triplets and had to go to a local milk bank. I never knew there was such a thing in Austin, Texas. And now there are people, and I don't like, again, but there are people in politics who claim to want to protect babies and then voted against supplying baby formula. That's gross hypocrisy. If you're going to be consistently in caring for babies, care for them all the way. Not some of the way. I had to say that because it is a tragic and an outrage that in the so-called most industrialized country in the world, that babies can't get formula and the rate of production. Whether you know it or not, greed is a problem in all of its forms. So it seems like no better time to talk about Jesus. So in Luke 7, Luke 7, verses 36 through 50, I really want you to sit down because I'm just a lot to be reading. I don't want y'all to stay on too long. So Luke 7, 36 through 50, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. As I read it, read along with me. And if you feel like you need to keep your app open or your Bible open, do so. This is what it says or how it reads. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. A woman and a woman in the city who was a sinner. Somebody say sinner. Yeah. Having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw it, when the Pharisee rather who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. And she is a sinner. Somebody say sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, 
but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven, little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you on this day, and we honor you, O oh God, for how you're moving even right now in this place. We thank you, God, because every day you continue to remind us, O oh Lord, of how we are in need of love and care and joy and peace. We need it, God. We need those things just to make sense of life. Love and care and joy and peace. God, thank you for those moments when we experience those four pillars. And now, oh God, help us to be grateful every time we encounter them daily. Love and care and joy and peace. So God, on this day, as we worship and as we bear witness to your word, your revealed word, remind us, even as we depart today, remind us to never forget love and care and joy and peace. But we need to live in ways that promote healing that don't suffocate our possibilities. Thank you, God. Oh, thank you for love, care, joy, peace. Have your way. We will make sure we continue to honor you because you are worthy. This is our prayer. In your name we pray. And we say amen. Amen. Uh, I want to just read, and again, hopefully you heard, listen, read along with me. I want to just read verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Let me read it one more time, see if you catch it. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. That line, he said to himself. This morning, I want to talk from the subject, stop talking to yourself. Stop talking to yourself. This scene is not unlike other scenes in the Jesus narrative. Jesus is 
constantly being questioned about his actions and even his language. He's constantly being verbally attacked by those who somehow feel that what he says, not really what he does, but what he says must come from an authority that's not God. In fact, there are numerous occasions when Jesus teaches and he says things that they, the religious leadership and the people, have never heard before. And when they hear these things that they've never heard before or even read in the Torah, the Old Testament before, they ask this question of Jesus. By what authority do you say and teach these things? In other words, their problem and one that we still find in the churches with our modern day Pharisees is, is thinking that all you need to know is in the book. You see, the reason, again, why Jesus was such a problem is because Jesus was saying and teaching things that weren't in their scrolls, in the book. That means that the troubling part about Jesus' teachings was the fact that he relied on something that we stopped relying on in the church because we have a book, and that is the power of revelation, the revealed word. It's not just about what you read, because I know this may be offensive to some Bible-toting people watching and in here, but if this was all you needed was the Bible, why be in fellowship? Instead of getting more fellowship, just get some reading glasses, and you would be all right. But what Jesus demonstrates is that this, not that the book, the scrolls are not effective, nor do they have their place. The issue is, have you made God room for the reality, watch this, that God is still speaking? Oh, I hope you get this today. God is still speaking. And if you understood that God is still speaking, you won't begin to worship a book that catalogs what he said. Don't you catch this? That what he said is important. But what God is saying is just as important. And what Jesus was saying was what God wanted the people to hear. And what God wanted the people to hear in that day could not always be cross-referenced in what they had already heard. You can't talk about morning by morning. You want new mercies, but not new words from God. You can't want new grace, but not new words from God. You can't want new love, new experience, new joy, new happiness, new, new reasons to rejoice, but not want God to say something new. In fact, God makes it clear in other places, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And so why try to hold God captive to even what God has said as if God doesn't have something new to say? I didn't mean to say that, but I had to say that for somebody here today. They're mad at him. And here in the scene, one of them, a Pharisee, has invited Jesus to dinner. Now, on some levels, it suggests that not all of them were hard pressed against Jesus. Maybe some of them knew that some of the things he was doing and saying, all of the things he was saying may have been a little troubling. What he was doing was a manifestation of God's power. 
But even though they may have believed a little bit, there was still some suspicion in them. They're still suspicious of Jesus. Why are they suspicious? Not just because his teachings bear no authority, but because his teachings in some ways reveal their shortcomings. And so the more he teaches and plus make the power of God manifest in his actions, the more problematic he becomes to those who base their position and their privilege on their title. So one of them invites Jesus to dinner, Simon. And they're sitting there in Simon's house. Simon is still, even though he let Jesus in his home, he's still looking at him suspiciously. A woman comes in, the scripture says, and And I love what it says. It says that a woman in the city who was a sinner, who had sinned greatly, when she heard that Jesus would be in the Pharisee's house, an unwelcoming place for her, she takes the risk of going to an unwelcoming place to have a transformative encounter. I hope you hear this. She goes to a place where she knows she is not welcomed by some, but possibly might be welcomed by one. And that one was enough to make her go to a place she wasn't invited to. Do you know sometimes the things we'll go to to be received and validated and affirmed? She goes in and immediately she begins to cry in his presence. I do not know the motivation behind her tears, but I know the feeling when you know you have messed up in your life and then find yourself in a space that you know has the capacity to love you back to wholeness. She comes in with 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 quivering lip. And heavy spirit. And in his presence, the emotions begin to fly. Maybe she felt something and sensed something that started to work on her broken heart and soul. Oh, you got to see that scene. If even in your mind you can imagine it, what it means when you've been rejected by everybody because everybody thinks they know you because they know your business. And that's why so many people are afraid to be transparent and vulnerable about who they are because they're worried about people holding it over them. And so when you're that person who is hired not to be true, true and free to yourself because you've been worried about being rejected and finally enter a space where the possibility of acceptance is present, it changes your disposition. It helps you relieve a weight and a burden you've been carrying for a long time in the presence of a space where you feel you might be loved and accepted you feel a little lighter and a little stronger, but the emotions can be over. I've been there. The emotions can be overwhelming. She's sitting there and she can't be there in his presence too long. The tears begin to flow and the tears flow in such great volume that it is like a bath upon Jesus's feet. And then she takes her hair. I won't even talk about taking somebody's hair and then go on. She takes her hair and dries his feet. Then the jar of ointment, alabaster jar. The jar is expensive and the ointment is is expensive. She takes it and she then anoints his feet. All of these are great acts of love, gestures of humility that she bestows and displays in Jesus' presence. She is grateful for love presence. She is grateful for the possibility of being accepted. And her acts show humility and love. 
Humility and love guide her actions. And when she, in her tear-filled moment, when she dries his feet and anoints his feet, verse 39 arrives. The Pharisee, when he saw what she had done, believes this to be a moment to reveal that Jesus is not really who some say he is. I want you to get this. In the, in the presence, watch this, of this woman who they know is a sinner, the Pharisee already begins to think to himself, and Jesus has not even spoken yet, and the woman doesn't even speak. That's the deep thing. Let me pause. She's silenced, I want to say, in some ways. People don't listen to her even if she did speak because they think they know her because her sins are great. They think somehow what she has to say has no bearing because they think they know her because her sins are great, that they reject her voice. Because they think they know her. Because her sins are great. And they then use her sin as a litmus test for Jesus' mission. He says to himself, well, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was. And if he was really a prophet, he would not allow her to touch him and be in her presence. If he really knew God, if he was really sent by God, he would not be so at ease among sinners. If he was really connected to God, I mean really called by God, why would he allow himself to mix with people we don't like? I had somebody a few weeks ago ask me in conversation. They were not an FCBC person. They said, you know, I, I've seen you quite a few times. And and I noticed that when you preach, you don't talk about sin a lot. I said, well, I actually do talk about sin a lot. Just not the way you might want me to talk about sin. He, he said, what do you mean? I said, I talk about it the way Jesus talked about it. I don't tell people are looking for healing and wholeness, how bad they are. Why? Because I don't see Jesus doing this. It's not rocket science. If you follow the way of the carpenter, there are certain things you don't find yourself doing. It is not that people are not held accountable, but they are pushed to a higher motivation in life and living. He drives everyone, the person like the Pharisee and those who have been wronged or, or who find themselves in some ways ostracized to the same deeper place. He says, if you were a prophet. Now, what you need to know, this is just me teaching real quick and then we'll be done in a few minutes. Just me teaching real quick is this, that in, in the Gospels, these, this story appears in Matthew, Mark and in Luke. In Mark, you got to watch this. When you read this version of the story in Mark's version, the onlookers are the ones who object to the woman's action. It's the crowd who objects and they speak among themselves about what the woman does. In Matthew, when you read Matthew's version, it's the disciples who object 
to the woman. And then Judas objects to her using the expensive oil. But Luke is the only writer who actually tells you what the persons are thinking. And in fact, unlike some literature, where in some literature, those of you who read and read a lot of novels and stuff, you know that sometimes the book gives you the internal conflict of the quote unquote hero of the story. But Luke gives you the words in the thoughts of those who are not the heroes. And in fact, when you read the Gospel of Luke, you will find that there are six stories where the writer of Luke says the individual is speaking to themselves. They're talking to themselves. Now, I want to pause here for a second before I end because I think this is critical. Here he is. I do not know the Pharisee, but I know he is a human being. And as a human being, I know this. He is flawed. There are chinks in his armor. He has issues and struggles and still continues to struggle with some of the things or the issues that he has. Why? That is our struggle as human beings. In many ways, we all wrestle with things that we are trying to overcome or get past. We are human beings. But here's the danger for some of us sanctified human beings. Because see, see, the human being, the humans, we know human beings are known to make mistakes. But sometimes it's the sanctified human beings who somehow tend to forget their personal narrative. It never ceases to amaze me. And it's a personal narrative that's still alive and unfolding. Oh, y'all missed that. Okay. Like, think about this. A flawed human being is having an internal conversation about someone else who's flawed. Let that sit with you for a second. Can you? Yeah, you you can imagine it. Uh, Okay, let me get a person who has their own issues is having a whole conversation in their head about somebody else who has issues? Well, that wouldn't be bad because if you were thinking about the issues of another human being to thereby know that you were not by yourself in your personal struggles, that there was a community of fellowship among those who struggle with issues. It's a community of fellowship among sinners. And this, in case you hear today and you think that you're so sanctified or in case you're watching to think you're so sanctified that you're not a sinner, you better read your Bible. In the Old Testament, after the flood that God issues upon human beings and after the sacrifice of Noah, God says this, never again will I punish the earth because of human beings, because their every proclivity is to sin. That's what happens when you read the Bible. So here it is. If God says, I know my creation, I love them, but I know they challenged. I love them, but I know they got issues. I love them, but I know they're going to make mistakes. They flawed. And watch this. And in the midst of that, there is still love overflowing. And grace abounding. In fact, let me show you that I know Bible. Paul, since I gave you some Old Testament, let me skip over Jesus and go to Paul like like a lot of my friends like to do. Paul says this, where sin, let me say it in the King James Version because it sounds better. Where sin doth abound. Grace abounds the more. You, You missed that. In other words, you can't 
without sin God's grace. I hope somebody hears that. Now, now let me say, I know there's some sanctified folk watching who don't like that statement because they wait for me to beat the sinner down to give you fire and brimstone, cash in hell. Here's the problem. I don't engage in the language nor practice of radical hypocrites. Because one of the greatest issues today is not sin, it's hypocrisy. It is from those who act like they ain't never done anything wrong and act like they don't have issues and act like they don't wrestle with stuff and act like they ain't messed up in their life and they get so holy they forget that they were there too. No, let me get that right. They still there because they still wrestling and still struggling with things. Stop talking to yourself, especially when your conversations are about somebody else. You spend all your energy talking about everybody else, judging everybody else, but you close your eyes every time you walk past the mirror. Mm -mm. That's not how it goes in the kingdom. That's not how it goes in the Jesus movement. That is not the way of the carpenter. To wallow in some hypocrisy like that's your divine mandate. I'm done. He thinks he knows her because he knows her issues. But you don't know her. You just know what they say about her or how they feel about her. You may even know some of the things she did. But you don't know her. This is an age in which when you think you see a 30 second clip of someone, you know them. Or when somebody posts a tweet, you think you know them. And you reduce them down to that foolishness. No. This ain't me speaking. This is Jesus. And then watch Jesus and then I'm gone. Jesus says, I got something to say to you. Look at the language. Teacher, the Pharisee says, speak. I love that. Teacher. That is the title referred to in the Bible more about Jesus than anything else. Even more than the Christ. Rabbi. Teach, speak. And look what Jesus does. This is why I love Jesus. He doesn't now use it as a moment to judge the man. And I don't even know if Jesus fully even knew. In some scriptures in the gospel says he knew what the person was thinking. I don't know. I don't need to say that. You don't have to know what somebody's thinking to sense the feeling in the space. See, Jesus had to be looking at the Pharisee while the woman was crying and drying his feet and anointing, and he had to see the disdain in his face because that's how the sanctified folk do who, who mad at other. They look at you funny. See, I know everybody ain't going to like this one today. 
He says, listen, here's the deal. There was a, there was a person who was a debtor. And two de- rather, there was a man who was a creditor and two debtors owed. He said one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. The creditor said, listen, he canceled the debt. The one for 500 denarii, the one for he canceled it. And then look what Jesus says. He says, um, who do you think loves the creditor more? Look at this. He said, well, you know, teach, I suppose. The one who had the greater debt had the greater love for the creditor who forgave the debt. You know why I love Jesus? Because the very people that are attacking have to declare their own hypocrisy. You tell me. He said, who do you think? I love this. If you've been listening to what I said, you tell me. Be honest. Tell me who loves the creditor more. (laughs) Hey, the one who had great debt. He said, good. He said, good. You see, because if you don't know in, in, in ancient Hebrew culture that you always welcome guests in your home, by providing water to wash their feet and their hands. And, and you'd even greet the person who entered your home with a kiss. He had to remind the Pharisee about the hospitality code. He said, when I entered your house, and I'm, this is me injecting this part now, because I know, I feel like this is how, how Pastor Mike would do it. Let me just say, because I'd be like, when, when, when I entered your house, you were so busy trying to catch me that you forgot how to treat me. You, 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 you didn't, you didn't, you didn't offer water to wash my feet. You didn't welcome me with a kiss. You didn't anoint my, give me oil to, you know, but from the time I walked into your house, watch this. She changed your house into her house. Oh, you missed that. Because instead of you doing what the owner of the house should have done, she now takes on the role you refuse to take on, and she now steps in your place. How can you not have grace for a woman who showed you grace by treating me the way you refuse to treat me? She's done it. And you did it. Because you were busy trying to judge her and hate me. You miss the move of God. Can you imagine this Pharisee's religious perspective and the way he viewed God did not make room for him to hang with sinners? The oil she used, yes, was expensive, but her generosity and love were expansive. You see, for those believers who think that being a Christian means you got to hold the front line for God and you got to be the gatekeeper for sin, that ain't your job. All these folk all over the place so busy to put people in the hell they did not create in a heaven they don't really know about. That we forget the way of the carpenter. I know some folk don't like this and some folk uneasy with it. Well, 
Here's what I used to tell folk before the Lord worked in my heart. <laughs> there are 499 other churches in Harlem. I know that sounds a little cocky. I'm fine with it. Why? Because this world is filled with enough hate and mean-spirited that people who claim to follow Jesus don't need to add to it every day. No! We are called to honor the teachings of the carpenter and take the way of Jesus seriously. It ain't about showing up in a building or just singing songs or claiming to be a Christian. What good is it if you got the right language but the wrong heart? People ought not come to people who claim to follow Jesus and leave more hurt and more wounded and more damaged and more broken. That is not what we're called to do. When people enter the fellowship of disciples, they ought to feel the love that emanates from a group of people who know what it is to be redeemed by grace. Who know what it is to be forgiven for sins and forgiven for past actions and love in spite of that. They ought to feel the fellowship of people who know what it means to love beyond the limits of their prejudices. Jesus says this, and I, and I end with this. He says, your sins are forgiven. She don't do Deacon Rand. She don't do no sinner's prayer. She don't repeat no formula for salvation. She does not know in her heart what the path to sanctification is. All she knows is that Nobody wanted to associate with me. But there was a person who I believe could love me. And for the love she hoped to receive, she poured that love out. And Jesus says, it is your love that just made a way for you. Oh, beloved, I hope you get that. Her forgiveness was connected to her love the expansiveness of her generosity. And you sitting around here trying to figure out how to catch God's attention. Love. It ain't hard. Love. Love deeply. Love broadly. Love in wastefully. I think I love that, Deacon Recklessly. Without thought. Sow your seed of love as recklessly as the sower in Jesus' parable. You know that parable? The sower just took the seeds and what? Didn't worry about, are they going to take my love seriously? Are they going to receive my love? Because if they can't receive my love, I can't give them none. Which means if you think like that, that means your love is constantly transactional. Love ain't that. Can you sow your love seed as recklessly as Jesus teaches? 
just love. Because your love ain't about the reciprocity on the other end. For the love you sow is a statement about you. 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 Can you imagine what we have come to in the kingdom when believers are offended by a message about love? Spew hate, we write on it. Be judgmental, we love it. Because people love to be being set apart. They think being set apart is their saved status. What good is it to be saved and not loving? Because this ain't about your personal walk. We learn in community, Jesus demonstrates. How do you demonstrate? Stop talking to yourself. Stop talking about other people. You who are in need of grace, stop gossiping about other folk. You have days worth of conversation about other people's problems in 30 seconds dedicated to yours. No. Oh, oh how about this? You want to hold people to a standard you don't have the capacity to hold yourself to. It's not our way. That's not our way. We often say, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much grace is given, grace is required. That's key. Come on, beloved, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. As long as God gives me breath, I will honor the assignment that God has placed in my life. It ain't everybody's assignment, so I'm fine with that. But it belongs to many. Here's the assignment. ain't hard. Go throughout the world. Make disciples. Baptize them. And teach what I taught you. Teach grace. Teach love. Teach forgiveness. And just for those who think, well, pastor, don't you hold people accountable? Absolutely. Because here's this. If I raise the bar of love for you and love permeates your very being and you lead with love, there's just some behaviors that may become problematic to your very spirit when you claim to be a love warrior. I don't have to spell it out for you. Can I tell you, when you let your life and spirit be infused by love, the contaminants of your faith will fall off. You'll find yourself no longer wanting to do certain things or say certain things or be certain ways. And not because no one told you or said, watch this, here's the punishment. You start not doing them because they are contrary to your love makeup. Plain and simple. You see, people love right now, and I'm going to deal with this in a couple of weeks. People love in this moment, Christians sometimes go, well, in the Ten Commandments, it says boom, boom, boom. And then the Old Testament says boom, boom. And then they say, why don't you talk about the commandments? No, I got a greater commandment, Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the greatest, he said. He said everything else, the laws in the Old Testament, the prophets, hinge on this one thing. Love. Because watch this. I don't have to say, don't kill your brother if I tell you to love your brother. Because love doesn't fire deadly shots like that. Jesus elevates everything with love. That's what we're called to do. So stop talking to yourself. Stop talking about other folk worrying about what they're doing. No, lean into the high call God has placed over your life. And let your light shine. Because every time you sit there and judge other people, you're putting a, a bushel over your lamp. Mm -mm. So right where you are today, I want us to pray. I want us to pray. And as you pray, I want you to be honest. It won't mean you won't wrestle with this thing afterwards, but I want you to pray honestly today. God, watch this. Forgive me the times where I hypocritically judge someone else. It's going to take some honesty today. The times where I was able to judge others but didn't look at myself. Here's how Jesus put it. Why talk about the speck of dust in your brother's or sister's eye when you got a whole wooden beam coming out of your eye? God, help me to be a love warrior. Help me to lead with love, live with love, serve with love. Let's go to God. God, we thank you today. We honor you today. For God, it confounds me why people who claim to love you spend so much time hating so many people. Those of us, oh God, who even in the prayer by the carpenter were reminded that as we ask for forgiveness, we ought to be forgiving. And yet we forget that even those of us who live with a judgmental spirit birthed from the conversations we have in our own hands, we forget we are daily in need of forgiveness, daily in need of grace, daily in need of love and care and joy and peace every day. God, help us to remember that. The next time we see somebody who we think we're better than, Next time we make negative comments about people we don't even know. Remind us, oh God, that we are all grace babies who live on the edge of your beautiful love and magnificent grace. We thank you, God. We love you, God. And we take this to heart today. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.